Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. How is former Division I basketball player Tanya Sims using her experiences to help young players navigate the recruiting process today? The college sports recruiting process has changed drastically over the past 20 years, most notably through the use of technology and social media. Athletes today are challenged with using the resources at their disposal to create a clear and compelling brand for college coaches to see. My guest on this episode, Tanya Sims, was a high school All-American, member of the University of Wisconsin women's basketball team, and former WNBA player. Tanya has seen the recruiting process as a player who received hard copy letters in the mail in high school to a recruiting advisor helping young athletes to navigate a very different process requiring intentional branding and outreach to college coaches. Tanya also discusses her transition from high school to college basketball, as well as her transition from the technology world to the WNBA and back to being a software executive and starting her own recruiting advisory practice. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Tanya Sims. Hi, Tanya. How are you? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm, I'm, this is great. I'm so happy to be here uh, talking to you. I'm, I'm excited for our conversation. So uh, for the listeners who are on, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So um, I am born and raised in southeastern Wisconsin, right in between Milwaukee and Chicago, a little city called Racine, Wisconsin. You may have heard about it from our, our famous Kringle. <laughs> uh, we've also had a, some pretty good athletes come out of Racine as well. Um, and I pretty much like grew up with like a basketball in my hand. I was pretty much born with a basketball in my hand. Um, but when I was younger, I played all different sports from softball to soccer to volleyball but it was really basketball as a sport that I really kind of took to and stuck with uh, and so um, you know both of my parents uh, are athletes or were athletes I should say my dad uh, uh, played basketball for the Air Force my mom was a hurdle for, for the Air Force as well and my brother uh, played division one college basketball uh, so yeah so I guess it just kind of started from there I mean it was uh, it was a really good intro uh, I uh, went on to play in high school. I started all four years for my varsity team in high school, then went to college at Wisconsin and played professionally in Europe and for the Minnesota Lynx. Excellent. So, I mean, I, clearly, you know, sports have, were in your blood, so to speak, from the beginning. So what was it about basketball that kind of led you to go down that path? I think just from seeing like my dad and my brother playing, you know, and kind of growing up, I grew up around all boys. <laughs> I was like the only girl uh, in my neighborhood and like out of my group of friends, like my, my, my older brother's friends, I used to kind of tag along with him. And so uh, he would take me to go play basketball. He's like six years older than me. So, I mean, imagine like, you know, he's like 12 and I'm like six kind of playing with, with the, with, with the boys. So, uh, and my mom, even though she, she didn't play basketball like competitively or anything. I mean, she was an amazing, phenomenal athlete, probably one of the, probably the best athlete in our family. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, she used to take me outside and we used to play basketball in our, in our backyard. And 
um, yeah, so I just kind of grew up, you know, just also watching basketball, like the NBA in college, um, you know, watching Magic Johnson, like he was one of my favorite, you know, he is my, like my basketball idol. I, I really modeled my game after him. So yeah. And so that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Well, growing up, I, I was a big Magic Johnson fan too. I just loved the way that he controlled the game and his ability to see the court. So uh, you've got good taste in, in basketball players. <laughs> so, so at, I mean, so at what point, you know, as you're getting older and moving up and obviously you played all four years in high school, like at what point did you have a sense that, hey, this is something that's going to be, could be a big deal for me? I think it was probably my eighth grade year going into high school. And the reason I say that is because, um, so I started playing AAU basketball uh, in seventh grade. I know that's kind of late because I know like, like kids play very early AAU. Now, like my nephew played certain AAU when he was in second grade. <laughs> uh, so I started playing AAU in seventh grade and I didn't particularly have a good tournament uh, during that summer of seventh grade. Uh, I remember playing on a national tournament in, in Arizona, uh, but um, I started getting letters from colleges actually around that time when I was like 13. Uh, I was like, wow, I didn't even play that great, but I'm getting letters from colleges. And so like the next year, uh, I really elevated my game and I played on my, uh, my eighth grade year going in the summer, going into high school, I played on my high school varsity summer league team. And I, I played pretty well. So I thought, oh, wow, you know, like maybe this is something I can, I can continue doing in college. Uh, and so that's kind of, you know, how it got started. Yeah. It, it sounds like those letters that you started to get in, in the junior high, I mean, that has to be like good feedback for you. Like, Hey, like I have a better understanding of where I'm at here, which I think a lot of athletes, you know, don't get that till later if, if at all. Right. So to know that colleges are interested at that point is gotta be like evidence that, okay, like maybe there's something, something to this. That's a great point because I think, I mean, my experience is a little bit unique in that my recruiting journey started very early, but I, I still like, you know, even though I got those letters or that letter um, uh, when I was 13, I, I didn't really, I didn't really like maybe take it as seriously until I started giving, getting more heavily recruited. Um, so. so. So when did, when did it start? When did you start to get more heavily recruited at what point? And what did that look like? Yeah, I'll actually never forget this. This is a uh, ninth grade. <laughs> ninth grade, I was a. Uh, uh, we were playing um, at home on our home court against uh, our nemesis. Uh, I say nemesis because they beat us at state every year, except my senior year. We finally beat them for the state championship. Uh, but uh, Milwaukee Washington had, uh, I think, every every starter that they had went D one. So it was like. I mean, they had a, I mean, their team was loaded, right? And so uh, all these college coaches were there. I mean, not to see me, <laughs> they were there to see them, you know? Uh, and so I had a really good game. I think I maybe had like 20 points, uh, 10 rebounds, something like that. And uh, that's when it started. I remember my dad telling me that they were talking to him after the game, you know, because they couldn't, they couldn't talk to me because of the rules. So that's when it really started, I think. Uh, and I started getting more letters and started getting invited to some of these like elite camps. So, so ultimately you choose Wisconsin, yeah. your home state, your home yeah. school. Um, when did you commit? I committed uh, the summer of going into my senior year. Okay. Yep. 
So I committed uh, fairly early, actually. I know um, that doesn't always happen, but I pretty much had my mind made up. I really liked uh, uh, my college coach. Um, I thought she uh, was a good coach. And I thought she had a great personality. I thought it would be a great culture fit. And uh, as well as like an academic, good academics as well. So yeah, I, I, I pretty much had my mind made up and I, I just thought, you know what, I don't want to like draw this out any longer. Um, I also did not want to, um, I also didn't want to uh, miss out on school just because like I, you know, I had to take all my visits and stuff. I didn't want to, I didn't take any visits actually. I just, I knew where I wanted to go and I just kind of made my mind up from there. But I do encourage you know, uh, student athletes and parents to to take those visits if they can. Um, you know, but my situation was a little bit unique. So, so what? So, I mean, it sounds like it was a pretty straightforward process, I guess, in terms of like you kind of had your mind made up. You felt like it was a good fit for you, which is something I hear all the time in conversations I've, I have on this podcast and just with people who are in this field about, you know, finding a school that fits you and not just from an athletic standpoint, right. From a holistic standpoint, academically, socially, right. Why are you going there? Like, what are the reasons you're going there? Um, and I know now what I hear a lot of is, well, you know, kids pick schools based on reputation or name and social media is a big driver of that process, you know, in terms of peer pressure and things like that. So like, I mean, if you put your hat on as, as somebody who's an expert in the recruiting process, like, what do you see now? And I'm not, I don't mean to jump ahead, but like, what do you see now with, with, in terms of like kids who are making choices and how social media affects their choices? I think you're right on the money. I mean, uh, social media was not around when I was coming up, thank goodness. But, <laughs> uh, I am a big fan of social media actually, especially in the recruiting process. A lot of college coaches use Twitter. Uh, it's an amazing recruiting tool. Yes. I think you're right. Um, um, the whole, I mean, I think because now like student athletes have to brand themselves. And I think one of the good ways to do that is using social media. Um, I've known college coaches who, or programs who actually possibly like recruit student athletes in high school or even like middle school who have like large social media followings just because of that reason, you know? So I think it is a increasingly important um, tool that is going to be even more, uh, become even more popular that's actually that's a really great point because i think sometimes the immediate reaction is social media is the source of you know all the world's evils and to your point it's a resource right it's a communication tool and if it's used properly right to message properly to brand yourself and it's done within the rules it can be extremely effective in terms of getting a message across or getting somebody's attention that you want to you know you want to get to Cause I think that's one of the things that I hear a lot too, is, is a lot of kids expect the recruiting process to come to them as opposed to, Hey, I have to sell myself. Cause there's so many kids now in that funnel, so to speak, that like, if I don't differentiate myself, follow up and really, you know, take a unique position, like I'm just going to get drowned out with everybody else. Is that, is that what you're seeing? Yes. And that's one of the things that I do help uh, you know, the parents and athletes that I work with, like, uh, what I teach them is, uh, you know, um, your child is in the business of, of, of sales. You know, like, I think we think of sales as like, I don't know, like a business person holding a briefcase, but, um, but they're in the business of sales. It's like non-sales selling, right? They have to sell their story. They have, and their story has to be compelling. 
to the college coaches, to the college programs. Uh, and it, I think having a unique story, having, uh, having a compelling story will definitely set them apart from the next recruit. Yeah, absolutely. And as somebody who's in sales in a number of different capacities in my professional career, I, I don't look at it as a negative. I think it's a positive if you're, to your point, doing it in the right way, meaning you're building awareness, right? You're building awareness. And frankly, what I've heard from some of the coaches that I've interviewed on this show is they say like the kid who is persistent and who follows up and says, Hey, I really want to be at your program in your program. Like that goes a long way to coaches because it shows that they really want to be a part of it versus like having the coach having to chase them around or the kid being noncommittal or kind of being, you know, a little bit nonchalant. And then they're like, do I really want this kid? Because he doesn't seem like he's really motivated to be a part of, of what we have here. And I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. It seems to me like from what, what I've gathered, not, not that I'm an expert in it, but it seems like there's a lot of misconceptions in the process. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's exactly right. Because, um, yeah, you have to follow up like that. The, the athlete has to follow up with the college coach uh, and be persistent, right? Because coaches want someone who's like assertive. Uh, and sometimes like coaches maybe don't respond or, or they ghost players, but most times it's not on purpose. It's because the college co- college coaches are very busy. They get tons of email, right? So uh, the athlete has to, um, you know, continually follow up. If they send an email, if they don't hear back, maybe follow up in in like one week and then, you know, two weeks, but yes, that follow-up strategy is like extremely vital. I couldn't agree with you more. Follow-up is absolutely something I talk to athletes about. I think it's important. So uh, we'll come back. We'll come back. I sort of jumped ahead a little bit, but I want to ask you about your choice. You you chose Wisconsin. What was that transition from high school, which obviously a very decorated player to moving into the big 10 high level division one college basketball. Like what was that transition like for you? Yeah, it was, some of it was smooth and some of it was a little rocky. (laughs) Uh, So transitioning from high school to college, like on the court, well, I'll start with that. Like it was, it was good. Like I, I mean, I knew there was like a lot of expectations that were being put on me because, you know, I was an all American, first team all American in high school and I was coming into a college program that had, you know, some pretty good players, but we wanted to make an impact right away. And I knew that I was expected to uh, quickly make an impact. Um, and I feel like I, I was able to do that, you know, with the help of like my coaches and my teammates and things like that. Uh, academically, it was a little bit of a struggle. Uh, I, I did, I performed pretty well in high school, like academically. Uh, but when I went to college, I did struggle, like just with the, because of like the time management, um, and it's, it's weird because like, I mean, both my parents were in the military and uh, they provided like a lot of discipline for me and my brother. Uh, but when I went to college, that kind of all went out the window a little bit, uh, you know, just because of myself, like not, uh, you know, like when you're in college and you're on your own pretty much, right? Like there's no one getting up in the morning and, you know, you have to go to class on your own. You have to go to practice on your own. Uh, and then the other thing is too, um, the class sizes at Wisconsin are huge. Uh, I remember uh, being in my psychology class, there was like 400 people in the class. You know? So um, so that part was a little rocky uh, in the beginning, but I did finally get adjusted uh, to that. Uh, thank goodness, because um, it would have been pretty bad if I didn't. 
I had a very similar college experience. Like I, I wasn't an athlete, but I went to Michigan State. So I was a Big Ten university. And my econ 101 class was like, a, you know, this auditorium of like four or 500 people, which is like, I, I went, my graduating class was like a little over 100. So for me, it was like, it was a new world. And plus, I never really learned how to study, like the process of actually like intake, taking in information and like retaining it. So I had to learn all that on the fly too. It probably took me a good three semesters to really get comfortable. So I can't even imagine what that's like when you're trying to fit in and learn how to, you know, be a part of a, a team at a division one program. And then you have all these other responsibilities that are sort of new to you. Uh, it almost sounds like the basketball was like, this is the constant, like, this is the easy part is the sports. It's the, all the other stuff that maybe is a little bit more challenging. Yeah. And you actually made me think of something like I have having flashbacks to like, <laughs> like two o'clock in the morning, like pulling all nighters, which I could never do now, but, <laughs> and that's true. Like I, I didn't know how to study. Um, and I, I didn't know like my learning style. I learned all that, you know, probably like my, my junior year moving forward. You know, I, I learned that I'm very visual. I'm a visual learner. I'm a hands-on learner. Um, and once I, kind of got that under control, like things is kind of like, you know, went a lot better for me. So. Okay. So, so tell me about learning coding. Yeah. You learned that in college. Um, I actually, so uh, I learned coding. Um, so I started coding actually when I was a kid. I know uh, mm-hmm. back in the, well, I, don't, I won't say it cause I'll totally date myself, but <laughs> a long time ago, <laughs> a long time ago when computers weren't as popular, <laughs> uh, my parents actually bought a computer. Uh, it was a Texas instrument. I think it was like a TA-82 or something like that. But anyways, uh, um, uh, I learned how to code in basic, which was like Microsoft's first language. I think it was like eight or nine or something like that. And, um, uh, it was so much fun. Like my brother and I would just, we would just code on that computer. And then like, you know, I did stop for a little bit. And then in high school, I took a few coding classes, like some HTML and CSS stuff, you know, like the front end stuff. Um, majored in business in college. I did not take a computer science class in college. Um, after I retired from sports, I moved to Chicago and I was working for a financial company in a, in a more of a business capacity in their IT department. Uh, and so I was like, oh my God, like, this is what I want to do. So I, I got the bug again for technology. And so that's where, and I, when I taught myself how to code and I was able to transition into a role, like within their, in their, within their company doing coding. So yeah, that, that's amazing. So that, that's kind of led you to your second career, right? In, in, in the software world. Um, so I'm going to go back. So you spend four years at Wisconsin you graduate? Yes, I graduated. It took me five years, <laughs> but that's okay. not really uncommon anymore. Uh, I, yes, I, uh, so I, I, I played for, you know, I was a student athlete for four years. And then uh, I was actually invited to the WNBA draft camp. Uh, after my fourth year, I politely declined because I wanted to finish my education. I, I felt that, you know, getting my degree was more important. Um, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I followed my intuition on that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. Um, and I actually didn't even have plans to play professionally. So what happened was, um, after I finished my fourth year, um, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, nine 11 happened, you know, obviously that was horrible. 
uh, and um, the economy just shut down. I, I couldn't get a job in my field. And so that's when I started training uh, to go play overseas. So Interesting. So your, your plan wasn't initially to play professionally. It was sort of a pivot based upon what was going on in the job market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, uh, you know, fortunately, it happened like that. But um, but, you know, at least I did have some type of backup plan, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I wasn't even looking to uh, play professionally. I wanted to start working in, a, in, a, in, in the business world. So. That's so that's so interesting, right? Because it's, you know, stereotypically, it's the opposite, right? I want to play professionally. And when that doesn't work out, I have to go find a regular job. Whereas you wanted to go start working and it kind of, you know, came around where you're like, hey, I, I need to do this because it's, you know, there's not really that much opportunity. So what was your first, what was your first um, professional team or your first job playing professionally? Yeah, it was in Poland, uh, over in Europe. Uh, I played for the Polish Women's Basketball League over there, uh, and it was great. I mean, I love uh, traveling over to Europe. was amazing. Uh, I, we just traveled uh, uh, within Poland mm-hmm. um, and played different professional teams there. Uh, my coach was amazing. Teammates were great. I was the only American on my team, the only American. Uh, I remember they told me, like, my agent told me that my coach spoke English, and so when I, I was like, okay, great. And so, like, when I went, when I got over, when I landed and I met him, he was like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And that was the only words of English you know how to speak. But but I, luckily I had a translator, a, a girl on my team uh, who was from the Ukraine, who spoke really good English. She helped translate. And of course I picked up some Polish as well. Um, I think my favorite thing to say, I kind of forgot what it, how it went now, but it was like, uh, I had to order water without carbonation gas. So that's what, that's like my, my one of my favorite Polish phrases that I would always say when I was there, so. So how long were you in Poland for? I was in Poland for a year. Okay. And then after Poland, where did you head? Uh, after Poland, I came back to the States and I um, played for the Minnesota Lynx in the WNBA. Uh, I ended up getting cut though. Uh, and uh, I mean, I was devastated by it because I had never been, I had never ever been cut from a team before. So this is like the first uh, the first time that ever happened. Sure. And after that, you know, I was like, okay, I think it's time to retire. Not because I got cut. It's just because, um, I was just ready to do something, to do something different. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like just based on your initial plans, like the idea that you wanted to go work in the professional world in business was something you had planned on. So the idea that maybe it was time to move on, it doesn't sound like it was maybe as traumatic as it can be for some athletes. Right. Yes. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of athletes and this is very common. Um, like after the, even like in high school, like maybe if they don't even go to play college or in college, they play four years and they don't play professionally. Um, it is devastating you know, especially if they don't have, um, any type of, uh, backup plan. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's something I've learned a bit about through my studies and training, but it's something I've experienced myself. Every athlete who plays is, has to stop at some point. And that transition out, especially when you look at yourself, your identity is so tied into your athletic participation, when it ends, it's like you have a really big vil- void to fill. 
um, emotionally, socially, right? All those things that we love about sports uh, are gone and we have a lot of free time on our hands. And if you don't have a plan or you don't have a passion for something else, it can be really challenging to try to make heads and tails of like, what do I do now? Um, so when you transition out, right, you, you get cut by the links. So like, what was like, what was like, what was it like then? Like, tell me about that sort of like right after that kind of how you went through the process of kind of saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was uh, very different, <laughs> you know, because I had, I, I had been playing basketball since I was five, you know, competitively. So I think I was like 25 when I got cut by the links, but so it felt very different. And even though I felt like I was prepared to move on and do something different, um, it still was a little bit like depressing, I think for me. Um, and um, so after that though, I ended up working in sales for a couple of years. I did pharmaceutical sales. And uh, I mean, it was a, I mean, I think that's a great job to have at college, right? Uh, but it really wasn't what I wanted to do. Like I wasn't quite sure. Um, you know, I, I, I was more uh, confident in my career path, like, you know, coming out of college, but, you know, going overseas for a little bit and playing pro ball, it kind of got a little bit like derailed, but um, yeah, it wasn't like being in sales really uh, like professionally really wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, so I ended up transitioning out of my job. I moved to Chicago uh, and that's where I landed in the tech industry. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is my calling. So that's great. That's great. I mean, it, it really is hard, even for those of us who never played professionally, right? You know, to, to find out what you like and what you want to do with yourself in a you know career capacity can be really hard. I mean, for me, this is, you know, my my sports psychology degree, you know, I got in my early 40s and um, this is my second career as a mental performance coach. So I, I know like, you know, it's really hard to figure out what you want to be when you, when you grow up. So the sooner you figure it out, the, you know, presumably the better off you're going to be. And, you know, you start to do different things. And once you find your niche, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I have a purpose, right? And then I'm moving towards building a new career. And I would imagine as time goes on, it gets a little bit easier and easier to transition away from in your case, basketball, and you start to put all your energy into, you know, into your, you know, your tech profession, your, your, your professional life. Yeah. And that's one thing I have to commend you because a lot of people would be terrified to switch careers in their forties and even their thirties too. I remember like, uh, this is when I was like one of my first tech jobs. Um, there was a coworker and he wanted to switch careers. He was like in his early thirties, but he was, he thought he was too old. I was like, that is that's insane, you know, <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that, that's amazing, Michael, that you were able to do that. Well, to be totally transparent, I was terrified. Um, <laughs> and it took me, it probably took me a good, like three years from the time I first contemplated it to the, to actually doing something about it. Like it took me like a good two or three years. So it, it was a really hard process, but I think to your point, it's never too late the way I see it, it's never too late to do something that you really want to do once you, especially when you discover something that's really important to you. So I guess that's a good segue, right? Obviously you're in the tech world, you continue to be a software engineer, but you've also got another venture in the recruiting world. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. So uh, I'm the owner operator of Upper Level Sports Academy. And um, what I do is I help parents uh, and their athletic children. Um, I help them make the recruiting process more enjoyable, um, as well as, you know, helping them have a more successful journey as well. Um, So I have a program called Rookie to Recruit where I, uh, it's like a uh, 60-day program. I you know, walk parents through the process step-by-step. Step. Uh, we do live group coaching uh, once a week. Uh, and uh, it's really just about like, um, you know, teaching them, uh, you know, kind of like about the ins and outs or all the juicy secrets of the recruiting process from, you know, how to email college coaches, uh, how to reach out to college coaches uh, on social media. And this is all, you know, all for their, for their children, the, their, their child to be the one making communication with the college coach. Um, you know, how to, how an athlete can brand themselves, you know, cause branding is very important. It's very important now. <laughs> so it is. yeah, especially with the name, uh, name image likeness, the NIL bill that came out, uh, which is basically uh, allowing athletes out to profit off of their name, image and likeness. So all that stuff is very important. Yeah, and it's it's uncharted territory in many ways because it's so new. But the sooner you start that branding process, the better off you're going to be for a lot of reasons, right? Not only for the purposes of establishing a reputation in the recruiting community, but also potentially from a business perspective. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stake there. And it's, you know, you know, as a coach, and obviously, you know, we live in a world now where there's so many resources and there's so many coaches who do so many different things. I think there's a little bit of maybe a little bit of saturation or a little bit of fatigue from parents in the market. Um, you know, in terms of like all these, all these people out there, like, who do I choose? Like, why do I need a coach? Like what, how do you explain to the clients that you have, your coaching clients, like, how do you kind of explain to them, like, this is something that's important and, you know, how do you like make them feel comfortable that, you know, you're really going to be able to help them through that process? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the one, well, one of the things I really focus in on and hone in on is uh, the cost of college, right? <laughs> of a five-year education college, which it takes most students now five years, um, um, on average is about what, like 70 grand, but in the long run, it could, it could be as much as $400,000 with student loan interest, you know? So um, I really hone in on that point. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, do you want your child to pay $400,000 over the course of, I don't know, their lifetime? Or, you know, would you want them to, you know, possibly win an athletic scholarship? And not everybody's going to win a scholarship. That's the thing. I mean, because those uh, are very, they are rare, but, um, what I also, uh, help with is like, for example, if maybe, uh, somebody's child goes to like a NCAA division three school, right? Division three schools in the NCAA, they do not give athletic scholarships, but they do give academic scholarships. If they don't get an academic scholarship, let's say they have to pay for school. Well, there, there is data out there. A lot of studies out there that athletes, college athletes, actually fare better than uh, people who did not play college sports, like in terms of getting hired, right? So it is a like return on investment. Like they get hired faster, they get into management quicker. Um, so there's some data around that. That's interesting. And that and that makes sense. And I feel like I've seen some of that 
research or references to that. And I, I think there's a lot of truth. To that. I mean, just anecdotally, having been spent most of my professional career in New York and Chicago myself, you know, the, the, the networks that created that get created through athletics, you know, I went to college with so-and-so, or we have this alumni association, or I played such and such sport with this person. And, you know, there's a bunch of us are in this group at this firm, right? Like it is a very strong bond that lasts, you know, for a very long time. And so to have those kinds of relationships and just being an athlete, I think is appealing, right? To employers because they know you have the discipline and you've kind of been able to put in the work to do something that's really, really demanding. And so that's a signal to them that, you know, you might be more qualified to come into a rigorous work environment. So I think absolutely, you know, that's, that's the case. Um, So your parents that you have, you have group coaching, you said like, do are there any things like what, what jumps out at you about the parents that choose to use your service? Like, is there kind of a, are there like trends or like, is there like overarching themes or is it sort of all, all over the board? Yeah. I think the parents that I've uh, worked with that went through my program, um, like they're, I just heard back actually from a parent today, like her son is getting actively recruited now by college coaches. Uh, and they're able to, uh, they're, child is able to build relationships with college coaches, uh, like more like stronger relationships. That's one thing I teach in my program. It's just kind of like life, like what you were saying earlier about getting mm-hmm. a job too, right? It's all about networking and building those strong relationships. Uh, and that's one thing that um, recruits have to do is to build those relationships with those college coaches. So. I couldn't agree with you more. I think communication is like the A, to me is, is the A number one skill because it's one of the things that we have complete control over, right? If something is not working out the way that we want it to, we have the choice to reach out and communicate with somebody about what we want, how are we feeling, to ask a question, right? Those are all things that are completely in our control. So if I'm putting on my, my sports psychology hat, like I always teach my athletes, control the controllables, right? If you're not happy with the fact that you don't have offers, right? Or you're not getting offers from schools that you want to be at, then you need to figure out where the gap is. And a lot of that is simply about asking questions and being proactive in your communication. And I think, I mean, I don't want to kind of harp on the generational stuff now because of the world we live in, but I think any teenager is is, is challenged from a communication standpoint, simply by virtue of being a teenager, right? Like teenagers just don't communicate that well because that's who they are. And so what are some of the tips that you give the parents to help them help their children be better communicators and relationship builders? Yeah. So I would say the first thing is, uh, you know, college coaches strongly dislike helicopter parents. You know, they want to, they want to hear from that. your 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 athlete, like their child, and they want the child to be like an independent thinker. Uh, they want them to be assertive. Um, that's like one of the first things. Uh, and then um, let's say like, I don't know, um, like for example, if like a athlete was building a relationship with the coach on Twitter, um, I think one mistake that I've seen is when like recruits jump into like a coach's uh, inbox or their DM, their direct message too fast. Like I, what I suggest is to build a relationship first so that may be liking some of the coaches tweets or like 
you know, commenting on their, commenting on their tweets first. So the coach, you start getting on their radar, right? Like, oh, like, you know, who is this? Uh, and then, uh, you know, after that, I don't know, do that for a couple of weeks. And after that, you know, you can jump into their direct message and say, you know, hey coach, you know, I'm so-and-so, you know, I played the sport, uh, you know, I've been following, you know, can you check out my highlight reel and like attach your stats and things like that. So, yeah. I think that's I think that's great advice, right? You're building awareness by engaging in social media, right? By liking or retweeting or right or commenting, and then they kind of see like, oh, who is this kid who's sort of coming and having a conversation with me? And then when you send that message, they know who you are, or at least they have some sense of who you are. And so, I think that's great advice. I mean, a couple of things that I've heard are one, just that the idea that um. Parents who are trying to, 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 to control the process or manage the process for their child are probably doing the, the, the student athlete a disservice. So, you know, I had Michigan State's baseball coach on my podcast, Jake Boss, and he told me exactly that. I want the kid who's going to be able to come look me in the eye, have a conversation with me, tell me what he's looking to achieve, you know, and I think any college coach, um, is not going to want to hear from the parent. They're going to want to hear from the athlete to say, Hey, is this athlete mature enough and committed enough to be, you know, to, to, to walk themselves through this process. I think that's really important. The other thing is I think resources, right? Like we have all these resources at our disposal. Are we, are we using them like social media, like email, like whatever the case may be? I mean, what would you say some of the biggest challenges are for the parents that you have in your program? So like, what's the hardest thing for them to wrap their head around? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I would say the hardest thing for them to wrap their head around is, uh, I think the thing that stands out the most to me is kind of like, you know, letting their, letting their, letting their child go, you know, I guess. Um, and letting their child like kind of be the leader and leader of the process. Like a college coach wants, they want leaders, right? I mean, Maybe it's bad to have all leaders on the team. I mean, that's a conversation for another time. But right. um, I think that's like the hardest thing that I've seen. But most of my parents, though, are, I mean, they're totally on board with letting the letting their child take the lead. And I think that's really important. It comes up for me all the time. Now, my athlete clients are tend to be a bit younger. They're high school age, but they're not yet in college. But yeah, what I find is that parents have a really hard time letting go with the reins and risking letting their child make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really slippery slope because that spills over, I think, into performance as well. Because one of the things I see a lot of with athletes from a performance perspective is the fear of failure and the, and the, the fear of making a mistake. And so that principle is going to apply in recruiting, right? If the kid feels like I don't want to take a miss and make a make a misstep in this process because it's going to hurt me, then you might not take the risks, the calculated risks that are necessary to get that return on investment, which is that scholarship or you know a commitment from a school that you really like that maybe is a step above where you think you should be. But you know what? I'm going to go after it. But if you don't try and you don't know how to do that, or the parents doing it for you. You're probably you're probably hurting your chances of getting the result that you want, which has a lifelong implication to your point about finances. But I think it's also emotional, right? If we don't, if we have regrets about our college 
experience and we have regrets about our athletic experience and 20 years down the road, we don't resolve those. Right. And we're always looking back on what could have been like that affects our lives, you know, in the present moment. And I think a lot of people downplay that, but to get the most out of this recruiting process and say, like, I did everything I could, even though maybe I fell on my face a couple of times, I did everything I could to get the result. That was what I wanted. Like, there's no, there's no regret there. And so I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand. I think they're very risk averse and they just want to make sure that everything's perfect and well put together. And I can totally understand that. I mean, I, I don't have kids, but like my, all my, I have four nieces and nephews, two nephews, two nieces, and they all played sports. Um, so I can definitely understand like how a mom or dad would feel. Um, but in terms of like the recruiting process, like a, I mean, parents do have a role. Don't get me wrong. I mean, um, yeah. a college coach wants to see that they, that, you know, they're, the child comes from like a really good family. Um, you know, if their parents are supportive. Um, so, I mean, they definitely do have a role in the pro like a huge role in the process as well. So. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it's, it would be naive to say or unrealistic to think that parents aren't going to be involved, right? They're part of a family unit. The parents are a representative of the young athlete, particularly when they're still a minor before they get to college. Yeah, of course. But I think there's a fine line between, you know, being totally hands off and, you know, being overbearing. And so I think a lot of times that's a line parents have a hard time kind of tiptoeing. So, I mean, I think it's great that you are somebody like you is out there helping them navigate the process because I hear it all the time. Like, people don't understand the recruiting processes, right? Like the rules are very complicated, right? A lot of parents have never been down that road if the mom or dad wasn't a college athlete, right? And so, yeah, sometimes, you know, we need to enlist a guide to help us through that process, especially if it's something that's really important to us. So to have people like you who are in there, you know, trying to help them get, educate them and feel like they're getting the results that they want, I think is a really is a really important thing. Um, I'm curious, like, do you hear from, cause I hear this too. Um, like, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of different opinions out there on social media and some of the Facebook groups and things that are out there. Like some parents will say, well, you don't need to do any of this stuff. You could figure it out on your own, which I think is probably true. Right. If you have the resources and the time and you know, you can put it in and do it. But like, what would you say to a parent who said like, I could do this on my own, like, why would I hire you? I'm sure that comes, <laughs> I'm sure that comes up from time to time. Yeah, it does. And I mean, parents can totally do it on their own, you know, if they really wanted to. I mean, there's tons of information on Google. Um, it's all over the place. So that's the thing. And what I do is I help centralize everything. Um, and I'm like, like I was saying early, I'm a guide. So I will help them get the results quicker, faster, a lot smoother. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, Yes, there are a lot of rules to this recruiting process. I think there are, it gets worse every year, you know, with the, with the right. rules and things like that, sure. uh, especially like with the transfer portal, uh, the transfer portal rule, which is uh, make sure, makes your head hurt. So, Does that have any impact on what, what it is that, that you're doing? Do you uh, have clients in that space? Um, not, well, actually I do have a client who is, um, I don't work as much with international students, but um, there was a young man who his parents, they came to me from Greece. He played, uh, he played basketball, well, I should say plays basketball on the Greek national team. Uh, and he came over here to the States, uh, went to a D2 in Florida 
Um, and now he's in the transfer portal. So I'm kind of helping him through that process as well. But uh, the other thing about the transfer portal is it could actually hurt high school athletes, right? Because now instead of college coaches recruiting, you know, these phenomenal high school athletes, all they have to do now is go into the portal and pick another college kid. So I kind of, um, I kind of, you know, help parents do that process as well. Like in terms of like helping their high school or their middle school athlete, you know, create a brand and, uh, you know, create a more of a unique value proposition and stand out. That's a really great, that's a really great point because I mean, in, in let's take college basketball. I mean, the transfer portal has kind of exploded and a lot of the big name programs are going out and plucking kids from mid majors now who have proven themselves after a year or two. And they're saying, well, if I can get a proven mid major player from another program, well, I'll take that kid on as a scholarship player rather than going out and, and offering a scholarship to, you know, somebody who's a high school player, because I don't know if they're not as, you know, as a, they're not a, a known quantity. Right. And so that only, um, enhances the need to stand out and to maybe change some of the branding and messaging when you say, Hey, here's why you want to bring me on versus a transfer portal player, right? You might not say that specifically, but that's the thinking process, right? Cause there's more competition out there. Yes. Yeah. This transfer portal makes it very, creates a very competitive landscape. And, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, uh, now more than ever, uh, athletes coming out of high school, even before then, they really um, need to create a compelling story uh, and have a very strong brand. Yeah. So what, uh, just a couple more questions before sure. I, I let you go. Uh, what effect, can you talk about the effect COVID has had on what you do and what that, you know, how that sort of impacted the world you live in, in terms of helping families with the recruiting process? Sure. Yeah. So I actually started my business during the pandemic um, because I I had a lot of like friends of mine, you know, come to me um, and really in a pan panic mode, right? Because maybe their uh, their child was like a senior in high school or like a junior in high school, and they didn't know what was happening with their season, or their season was canceled, and they didn't have any film. Uh, so yeah, COVID has had a has had a has had a big impact. Um, I like in terms of um, like my, my business, because I started during the pandemic, like, I don't really know how, how it would have been before, uh, the pandemic, I guess. But, um, I do see glimmers of hope though, like in terms of, you know, things getting better and, you know, now here, at least in Wisconsin, you know, we, we, we did have sports this past, uh, I guess would be, have been this past winter and we have sports now for the kids this spring. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I would encourage uh, parents, um, to do is to, um, especially if they have like a junior or senior, make sure they get game film or practice film or something like they're going to need film because that's like the biggest thing that I saw, um, you know, when the pandemic happened, um, when the parents were panicking is that they didn't have any film of their, of their child playing or competing. And so um, and now more than ever, you know, college coaches are going to be recruiting on, you know, via YouTube or video or Twitter. So it's like vital to have um, any kind of film. I mean, even if it's, I mean, ideally game film is better to create like a highlight reel, but even if they have practice film, that's better than, you know, nothing. So. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think a lot of people were scrambling this past year because they weren't getting the games under their belt. And so there's just not as much to share with coaches, right? You don't have that experience. So you've got to be creative in creating that 
that reel, that data to share with a coach when, you know, maybe it doesn't actually exist. You've got to manufacture it somehow. Um, so that's a really good point. Uh, I guess the last question I would ask you is, is just if there's one thing that you would leave with the listeners, the parents, the athletes who are listening, coaches, like what's the one thing that you think is sort of the most important thing that people need to know about the recruiting process? Well, I would say, um, you know, we are humans first, right? Like, uh, I feel like at sometimes at some levels, like at maybe at the NCAA division one level, I mean, it's more about like the sport and like winning and, you know, because college athletics does support the university in most cases, but, um, you know, um, athletes are humans first. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, we are student athletes, right? The student comes before the athlete. So I definitely would say um, have a very strong emphasis on academics, like no matter what level, I mean, even if you're like the star player, even if you're not the star player, somewhere in the middle, right? Um, you know, student, you are a student athlete. Uh, and then the athlete comes, you know, finally, like the athlete part comes uh, last. But I would definitely say like, um, you know, if you are going through the recruiting process, maybe you feel like the college coach or the program doesn't support that, then, um, you know, maybe you can start looking elsewhere. So. That's great. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time to talk about your experiences as a player and as a professional. And now as somebody who's working in the recruiting space, I think it's been a great listen. Hopefully will be a great listen for everybody who, you know, uh, tunes in and um, hopefully we can, we can do it again sometime soon. So I just want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast and um, good luck with everything. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. So what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Tanya Sims? For me, it was that any athletic or professional goal is achievable with intentional effort and persistence. Tanya has worked diligently to reach the highest level of basketball, become a respected software executive, and start her own business helping families navigate the college recruiting process. My suggestion to high school student athletes would be to clearly establish your personal brand and be consistent and persistent in communicating that message to college coaches in the recruiting process. I want to thank Tanya for her kind generosity and the wisdom she shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Tanya on her website at upperlevelsportsacademy.com and her Facebook group, Secrets of College Recruiting. You can learn more about the Freshman Foundation on our website at freshmanfoundation.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back for episode 20. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.